So we're in our series on some assembly required, um, or you could say, you could also call it serve it up, uh, because we're going to talk about serving, we're talking about being a part of the body of Christ, being members specifically, in particular, of the body of Christ. So let's look at our theme scripture, which is 1 Corinthians 12, 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, now you are the body of Christ. Now, you are the body of Christ. Now, I am the body of Christ. Now, you are the body of Christ. If you're born again, if you're a Christian, if Jesus is your Lord, if you've been made a new creature, you are the body of Christ. You're part of the body of Christ. So somebody, you want to know where Jesus is today? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, but he lives in the life of the believer, in your spirit. Actually, in your spirit, you and I have become one uh, with Jesus Christ. And we are the body of Christ. Jesus said, really, where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm right there in the midst of them. So if you're all by yourself out in the woods, uh, God lives inside of you. Jesus lives inside of you by his spirit. But you realize, really, to have him in your midst, you need to come together with other believers. Uh, The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, and even more as you see the day approaching. Well, how many people uh, think that uh, it's soon when Till Jesus comes back, uh, because, uh, you know, even in the times of Noah, which the Bible says it'll be like that when Christ returns, uh, God just finally said, I, I don't want any more of this evil. Have you ever gotten, I mean, I have, you look at what happens to people and how people are treated, and you think, this, is, this has got to stop, this cannot continue. Well, there comes a point when uh, uh, the Lord says, you know what? It's time. This has to end uh, because of his mercy, really, and his um, grace. So where two or three are gathered together in my name, uh, there I am in the midst of them. I, we ended last week talking a little bit about uh, our union with God, becoming one with God. Besides the scriptures about the incarnation, that Christ became flesh and lived among us, Uh, He became one of us and lived among us. Probably the most profound two words in the Bible would be in Christ or in him. And those two words actually uh, speak to our union with God, our becoming one with God. And we said, you know, legalism basically says, I have to do everything right to get to God. But what real Christianity is, is... You can't get right and do everything right to get with God. Jesus already did it. So one says, I'm going to do everything right so that I can become one with God, so I can come into union with God. But what Christianity says is, I'm going to become one with God so that I can do everything right. It's a very important distinction, a very important difference, so that when we're living by faith and walking by faith, we're relying upon God, not ourselves. Like we talked in the, in the time of worship through giving of the rich young ruler, he trusted in himself, in his riches. Whether he got that through inheritance or whether he got it through hard work, however he got it, his trust was not in God, so he couldn't give those up. So you could actually do a, a test for yourself. Is there anything in your life that you wouldn't give up for Jesus Christ? If there is, just make a heart adjustment. Because really, when you look at that passage of Scripture, most scholars agree that if the man had said, okay, I'm going to do it, Jesus would have said, it's not even required of you. 
But Jesus was actually going to the heart of the matter, which was the condition of his heart. Jesus really wasn't concerned about the money. We get, uh, I think we get distracted about the money because, you know, it takes money to live. And uh, there's a lot of pressure that's exerted on us through money, or maybe I should say through lack of money or the possibility of money. And so you can see people that make all kind of compromises because of money, that they do things that normally they wouldn't do because uh, of the money or the lack of money. Well, Jesus is saying, don't tie yourself to that. Don't let that be the way you live your life. Live your life uh, in me. Live your life in Christ. So when you are in union, when you come into union with God, that union with God actually drives out your unholiness, actually drives out your unrighteousness, actually drives out your fear, your doubt, your um, bondage when you come into union with Jesus Christ. So we as Christians have come into union with him. Um, It is a divine life that we now partake of so that his life can flow into us, so that it's all of him and none of us. Um, we become partners in his divine work um, so that we die in his death. So what, what does that mean? Are like, we going to be crucified on the cross? What it feels like that sometimes. <laughs> that means, you know, the Bible talks so much about crucifying the flesh with its lusts and desires or passions and desires. And, um, you know, you read those translations in the Word of God and you find like... Uh, Okay, at least even me, I've studied the word a lot, but when I hear the word lust, I think of something sexual. Well, certainly it includes sexual things, but you know, uh, coveting money or coveting things is actually lust. It's not a sexual lust, but it's, a, it's you know, an, an improper craving and desire for something that you don't have. And so... Um, We're not to allow those desires or those things to be part of us. But if we're going to sit here the whole time and say, okay, um, uh, I could make it uh, sexual. I guess it would be easy to make it sexual. So uh, I'm not going to think about that. I'm not going to think about that. You know, I don't really want to think about that. What are you going to be doing? You're thinking about not thinking about that, so you're thinking about that. Right? It's like you're trying to, like, clean yourself up to get to God when that's not the answer. Because I don't care how uh, pure you think you are on your own or how holy you think you are on your own. Holy just means set apart, special, different. Uh, you're not good enough to get to God. You can keep everything and offend in one part and then you're guilty of the whole thing. So you may have never had a, a lustful thought. But if you, you know, talk short to someone, then you're guilty of having a lustful thought, is what the Bible says. So, uh, you know, and uh, Paul said... Don't, you know, you need to judge yourself so that you're not judged. Don't judge other people. So it's real easy. One of the keys uh, for my Christian life uh, and um, walking in love with people is I'll, I, I tell myself and I believe this. You know what? If I see someone fall or fail, I think, because uh, the thought would come sometimes, oh, I would never do that, right? Like there's some areas, you know, I know <laughs> pastor at the church in Michigan, he always said, he said, you know, I have never been tempted homosexually. Like, that's just not a temptation. But there's people in his church that have been. So I always say, you know what, I might not be tempted in the same area you are, but there's areas I'm tempted that you're not. Uh, and why do I do that? Well, you know, you might, it might just be a passing thought, but I don't like to leave those things hanging. 
because uh, you can get into pride, and pride all of a sudden blinds you, and you don't even realize you're blinded. Uh, the problem with deception is you don't know that you're deceived. And so um, I like to keep my heart in a good condition, in a healthy condition. You know, even uh, I remember Brother Hagen talking about when he um, was getting ready to uh, travel in the ministry, and uh, he was praying. Actually, he was praying, and uh, the Lord started talking to him about uh, some issues in his life. And he, you know, he said, you know, Lord, we're only getting like, you know, 40%, 50%, 60% results. Why is that? It shouldn't be that way. If you preach the word, you get the results of the word. And Jesus told him, he said, check up on your preaching. And, and he said, well, uh, yeah, I'm preaching the word. I'm a faith and healing preacher. That's what I'm preaching. And uh, Jesus said, check up on your preaching. And he said, I checked up on my preaching. I realized 5% of what I was teaching was doubt and unbelief. And uh, I think it was 30% was tradition. He said, well, I got rid of the doubt and unbelief like immediately, just like that. He said, but it took me, he actually had some um, uh, Baptist tradition, he said, and he got rid of that within a year. And, but he had Pentecostal tradition, which took him three years to get rid of. And he said, once I got rid of that, he said, everything worked just like that. He said, where I was getting like two healed, I was getting six healed. Where I was getting four people born again, I was getting 12 people born again. It just exploded. He said, he actually, I like his illustration. He said, you ever been driving your car and you had the emergency brake on, but you didn't know it. And all of a sudden you realized it, <laughs> you take it off and it just lurches forward. He said, that's what I did in ministry. And, um, but he said, what I had to do is, he said, I had to take and put it on the altar. If you want a pastor, why do you want a pastor? If you want to be traveling ministry, why do you want to be traveling ministry? Is it because your wife said that? Is it because other people told you that? Is it because you want to do that? Or is it because God told you to do that? So it's really, it's really so important that we manage our own selves so that we can get God's best all the time because it's the easiest thing in the world to... Uh, go with the flow and be influenced by other people and, and do what other people say. Uh, but I don't know about you, but I really care most about what the Lord says. And, uh, you know, coming out here to D.C., you get lots of different comments. I'm sure living here for a long period of time, you get lots of different comments. Uh, but, uh, you know, I would come here if it was a bad place or a good place, but I've found it's not actually even, it's actually a pretty good place, you know. And... Um, it has its own set of challenges. You know, that's one thing that you go to pastor's meetings and uh, you be around a bunch of pastors and uh, it's not untypical that in your town where you pastor, everybody has special demons. <laughs> like you don't understand the demons that are here, right? So, you know, it's harder here than it is there. And that's the kind of the common thing. Well, if that happens to pastors, it happens to everybody else too. That means in your own individual life that can happen. Like, well, you don't understand my circumstances or what I've been through or what happened to me when I was young or how I was trained or how I wasn't trained. Well, it's a matter of have faith in God. Just look at where you are. Trust God. Because really, if you've had things that look to you like they're worse than anybody else, then man, the glory of God coming on you is going to be greater than the glory of God coming upon anybody else. And uh, the devil, will, can, if he can keep you in your past, if he can keep you thinking, poor me, I don't have it, that's not fair for me, he will keep you down. Because he, his battlefield is the mind. And uh, plug for Joyce Meyer there. Um, but uh, where he wants to fight, if you fight him with your mind, uh, you're no match for the devil. 
Because why? You're really no match for the devil anyhow. It's in Christ that we are victorious over the devil. It's in Christ that we have won over the devil. It's in our connection and our union with Christ, our oneness with Christ, where the devil has no power. The devil has no ability. Uh, The devil is really just a bag of wind. He's a bunch of lies. But if we don't fight him in the arena of faith, that's when we lose. And that's when you think like, okay, I understand it says that Jesus defeated the devil, but uh, he sure does seem powerful in my life right now. (laughs) I'm sure seeing a lot of destruction happening in my life right now. Well, that's because um, you're paying attention, giving your attention to that, honoring that more than you're honoring what the Lord has done and who you are in Christ. Because in Christ, we are more than conquerors uh, through him. So he's the one, um, we die in his death. We're risen in his resurrection, we ascend in his ascension, and we're seated with him in heavenly places. And we live in his zoe life, in his eternal life. That's how we are supposed to live. In the Bible, there, are, um, there is a legal side to being born again, to being redeemed, to being bought back. And then there is a vital side to that. So the legal side means it's done, it's accomplished. Like First uh, Peter 2.24 by Jesus' stripes, you were healed. That's a fact. That is true. It's completely done. But the vital side of that is these things don't fall on you like a ripe cherry off a tree. It's not automatic. You have to grab hold. And like I've said many times before, if you want to know, like, how do I activate my faith in this area? So let's talk about healing. How do I activate my faith for healing? Well, let me ask you this. How do you activate your faith for salvation? How were you born again? Um, the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we are ministers of reconciliation. Actually, one translation, I love that translation, says that God was personally present in Christ, reconciling the world unto favor with himself, unto himself. So God was in Christ making the whole world right with him. So uh, you know, should we just like be a universalist and say everybody's going to heaven and forget about it or what? Because that's what the Bible says. No, we're ministers of reconciliation. So our job is to go tell the world, God's not upset at you. God's not mad at you. Actually, he's already made you right with him. The way that you get it is you actually believe, confess, and receive it. And so the same exact way that you are saved is the way that you are healed, is the way that you receive financial blessings, is the way that you receive freedom from bondage, is by faith. So it's legal. In other words, it's done, it's accomplished, it's finished. Somebody said, like, you know, um, as soon as the Lord finishes his work, well, Jesus actually sat down at the right hand of the Father. He sat down. He accomplished everything that needs to be accomplished so that we can live now here today in the fullness of the blessings of God. But it's for us to make it uh, alive in our life. And, um, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. One translation says faith is awakened by hearing the word of God. So when you hear the word of God, when you read the word of God out loud, when you hear a minister preach the word of God, uh, your faith that you already have, God's given to every man the measure of faith. That faith starts to 
wake up starts to have life in it. Like you see like a tulip in the morning, how it starts to all of a sudden as the sun comes, it starts to blossom and bloom. And as you read the word of God, meditate on the word of God, speak the word of God, it becomes more and more real to you, more and more real to me. So our problem really is a renewed mind. Uh, Jesus said in um, John chapter 8, you will know the truth and the truth will make you free or set you free. And (laughs) that Hagen used to have, he started in, in, you know, when you're starting out in uh, pastoring, you, uh, you have to learn some things by doing them <laughs> the wrong way <laughs> and the right way, right? So he started out and he noticed like people are, they're not living a victorious Christian life. So he started having these deliverance meetings. And so every Saturday night he'd have deliverance meetings. And uh, that went on for about uh, six months. And then he, then the coolness and the freshness of that wore off, so he started having get-free meetings, which are basically the same thing with a different name, and that went on for like six months. And then he had uh, loosening meetings, and that same thing happened. And he said, you know what I noticed? He said, in, in the end, people were no more free, no more loosed, no more delivered than what they were at the beginning. They maybe shouted a little more, ran a little more. He said they were like swinging off the rafters and hanging from the ceiling. He said it was almost really that bad. Um, have every kind of manifestation that you can think of and a lot you shouldn't. <laughs> and, um, but he said they were uh, no more free, so he got to talking to the Lord about it. He said, Lord, why is that? And Jesus told him, he said, you know, uh, people may get uh, a break for a minute in an atmosphere like that. And that's kind of what we're talking about in this series, a corporate atmosphere. But he said, in the long run, the only thing that will set them free and make them free is my word. So you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So you have to know, be acquainted, be intimate with the word of God, have something solid to stand on, and um, it'll make you free or set you free. So we are the body of Christ. We become united with Christ. And really, Christ can't do anything in the earth today. Jesus can't do anything in the earth today without a body to do it in. We talked about last week, we started on it, and I said, like, if I want to walk out of this room, uh, if my head wants to go out of this room, I can't get out of this room without my body carrying my head out of this room. Without my head sitting on my shoulders, my head cannot get out of this room. I need my body to get out of this room. Well, Jesus has tied himself to his body, the body of Christ. He is the head and we are the body. And... um, you know, members in particular, we each have a function and a part, and uh, we each actually supply. Mm-hmm. We act, the, the Bible says every joint supplies. And so without us, Jesus cannot do what he wants to do on the earth. He needs every single one of us. And this kind of, uh, as I mentioned before, goes back to our series that we had last summer, which was the Miracle Life series, talking about Jesus being our model and our inspiration, how we respond to what he said, and uh, so on and so forth. But we are Christ in the earth. That means in your family, the main Jesus they're going to see is you. That means in your workplace, the main Jesus they're going to see is you. And somebody said, well, there's other Christians there. Yeah, but you have a responsibility, and they have a responsibility. And so each of us are, are uh, members of the body of Christ. Ephesians 5.30 says, we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. In Ephesians chapter 1, you'll know the Ephesians 1 prayer, that Christ is the head and we are the body. And, you know, that's the message of the authority of the believer. 
and uh, that we have authority over devil and demons, over all the power of the enemy, that we uh, can speak in, in the name of Jesus and it comes to pass. But really, Jesus has limited himself and he is dependent upon his body to do his will and to do his work. Um, I'll tell you a story that um, uh, is shocking when you actually think about it. And uh, Brother Hagin was uh, at a minister's house and finished preaching. And they, uh, it got to be late, They're, as pastors do. They got to talking about the word, and it got to be like 11 o'clock at night. And the pastor realized, oh, my goodness, I haven't prayed with my daughter to go to bed because the little daughter came up and said, hey, Daddy, it's, I want to go to bed. <laughs> and so uh, uh, they prayed with her, knelt down to pray with her right there. And when they knelt down to pray, Brother Hagin said, he said, I knelt down into a cloud. And uh, when he knelt down into a cloud, Jesus appeared to him and said, I'm going to teach you concerning the devil, demons, and demon possession. For what's known in my words, discerning of spirits, or operate in your life and ministry when you're in the spirit from this night forward. Well, one of the things that Jesus, that happened in that vision while Jesus was teaching him is this little imp demon came up and started going, yakety, yak, yak, yakety, yak, yak, yakety, yak, yak. And when he did that, uh, Brother Higgin couldn't hear Jesus anymore. And when he was doing that, this dark cloud went up. So like if I'm Jesus and Melody's Brother Hagen, there's like a little uh, imp demon down there um, and making this cloud. And Jesus just keeps right on talking like he doesn't even notice anything's happening. And so he's talking. You ever been hearing somebody like and you, you can barely hear them and you're like, what are they saying? What are they saying? And I've been, I know I've been listening to uh, uh, teaching uh, on my phone or something like that. Like the other day, yesterday I was mowing the lawn and I'm trying to hear something and it got a little loud where I was mowing and I'm like, whoa, whoa, what, what was that? What was that? I want to hear that. Well, thank the Lord, I can just back it up and listen to it again. Uh, but uh, Jesus is speaking and so Brother Hagin starts getting desperate. He's like, well, what's going on? Doesn't, doesn't Jesus know I can't hear him? Doesn't he know I need to hear what he's saying? Like, why doesn't he stop? Why doesn't he do something about it? And he finally got so upset and so exacerbated he said, shut up in the name of Jesus. And the little thing just fell to the floor. And he said, and get out in the name of Jesus. And, and he left. And Jesus, then Jesus stopped what he was saying. <laughs> and he said, if you hadn't done that, I couldn't have. And Brother Hagin said, what? He said, I must have heard you wrong. Will you say that again? And he said, if you hadn't done that, I couldn't have. And Brother Hagin said, I know I heard you wrong. You said, if I hadn't done that, you wouldn't have. He said, no, I said I couldn't have. And uh, one of my favorite things about Dad Hagen was um, he was a man of the word. So even with Jesus, he didn't let him get away with not using the word. He said, uh, I've never heard that before. That's different than anything else I've heard. And I've read the New Testament through 150 times and portions of it more. And Jesus said, well, there's a lot in there you don't know. And um, he said, uh, well, the Bible says in the mouth of two or three witnesses, let everything be established. So I want... Uh, three witnesses, I want them from the New Testament because this is where we're living under. And um, so I'm not going to go into that now because we're not talking about the authority of the believer. But the point I wanted to make was, uh, you know, you talk about in First Peter where resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And it's all these where it puts the onus on us. And you realize that Jesus has accomplished everything he's going to accomplish. So I have been in situations in my life where I sit there and I'm thinking, 
Lord, why aren't you doing something about this? I've been in situations living here where I've been like that. Don't you know that I moved all the way from Michigan to Washington, D.C. to plant a church? Don't you know that this needs to happen? Don't you know that this money needs to come in? Don't you know that we need to be able to, I mean, we've had some like technical challenges. You, you, you'd, you'd be shocked. And um, just things that shouldn't be difficult, difficult. And you, you sit there and your first line of thinking many times is, Lord, why don't you do something about this? And then one day that was happening, and it just dawned on me, like, just on the inside, I had, like, a, a witness that said, I'm not going to do anything about it. And actually, I was a little bit upset about that. <laughs> I was like, what? Are you saying I did this and you're not helping me? He's like, I gave you authority. I gave you the position. So my point in telling that story was that we are the body of Christ, and uh, I, I marvel at the delegation ability of Jesus Christ because you look at leaders and as a leader you study other leaders and you, you look and one of the big things in leadership is to be able to effectively delegate to people and keep your hands off so that they can actually do what's their gifting and what's their calling. And uh, I think, man, Jesus so delegated to the body of Christ that if we don't do the whole thing, the work's not going to get accomplished like, that's how much he trusts you. That's how much he trusts me. That's how much he's expecting us to act like we believe him, to act like his word is true. And so we find that he has limited himself uh, and is dependent upon his body to carry out his will in the earth. So this is good news. The reason this is good news is how many of you would like to have the anointing of Jesus and the same spirit that anointed Jesus anoint you and the same spirit that lived inside of Jesus live inside of you? Well, that's what happens. But there's, uh, you know, really some assembly is required. So forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Why? Because something happens when we assemble together. Because the ecclesia, the church, is a group of called out ones that are called really to a meeting with God. And when non-believers come to a meeting with God, there's something different, the Bible says. Even it says that uh, they will, uh, people prophesy that uh, they'll say, wow, God's really there. I couldn't believe it. Some, something's there. And how many of you have been in services where you can just sense the tangible, like you can almost touch the presence of God? And um, you bring non-believers into a service like that, and they notice there's something different in the air. Something smells different. Something feels different. And that's why we always want to cultivate making room for the Spirit of God to move. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body as, uh, just as he pleased. So sometimes we, we look and maybe we're not pleased with where we find ourselves in the body of Christ. You know, like, you can look at a ship on the water. And if a ship on the water doesn't have propulsion... You can't turn that ship. You can turn the rudder all you want, and the rudder will turn in the water, but the ship will not turn. The way the ship can turn is if the ship is actually going. If you want to try this out this summer, just get on a jet ski <laughs> and turn without going forward. Uh, those are a little different because they propel like that, but you can throw yourself off a jet ski like that and go spinning over the water because um, you're not turning with the ship. But you can't actually turn a ship without it moving forward. And so Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And uh, I like one minister, he said, you know, basically we have a green light from Jesus who said go. And many times we will 
uh, because we want to have great clarity and hear from God, and really what that is a lot of times is an excuse to look for a supernatural voice rather than follow the inward witness. But we'll, be, we'll have a, act like we have a red light and say, well, I'm waiting for the Lord to tell me what to do. Well, it's a lot easier really to be directed if you're doing something. I remember Brother Hagin said when he first started preaching, any church that opened up, any church that said, hey, would you, you know, we're looking for a speaker. He's like, well, I'll speak. I remember they were looking for somebody to go in the jail, and they're like, you know, Ken, do you know anybody that can go into the jail? And he's like, well, yeah, I do, me. Uh, he said, because I didn't have um, meetings, and I knew I was called to preach. And so he said, I wouldn't even pray about it. I just went and did it because I knew that's what I was supposed to do. And I think we'd be so much better off if that's the uh, stance in which we lived our life, is that I am called of God, I am anointed of God, I have the ability of God, so you need help, you need help in the ministry, here I am. And, uh, but many times we want to have like a position of prominence or a position of honor, or we want to be like the, the um, main speaker. I'm so, I'm so thankful that I was associate pastor for like nine years, and then I was in um, other helps ministry for five years before that. Uh, it's nice to have... Um, uh, experience in the trenches before like you're pastoring and, and um, over everything because you're able to really speak from experience and say like I've been there and I, I think I told that story last week about being there labeling the tapes and like I can put if you give me VHS tape to this day I think I can do a very good job <laughs> putting that label on straight <laughs> making sure it sticks and you know, I know what a bad batch of labels is like if it's coming on and I'm like, mm, that's going to come off right away. We got to start this one all over. And, um, uh, but, you know, that develops humility in you so that you're like, okay, I'm here to serve. But you can say, I'm here to serve or I'm here to serve so that you're here with a purpose from God and a plan from God. So when you serve, you're serving not for someone, but you're serving for him. You're serving um, as to the Lord, like you work as to the Lord. Um, you know, you look at how the anointing comes, and the best example of that in the Bible, I believe, is with Elijah and Elisha. And you see, actually, there was the school of the prophets, and um, in uh, First Kings there, you'll actually see when um, Elijah put his mantle uh, on Elisha to call him into the ministry. And then after that, until he went up to heaven, was taken up in a chariot of fire. You'll actually see, I think it's three instances where it talks about the school of the prophets. So you've got the school of the prophets. Some, of, some translations call them the sons of the prophets. So they're learning about ministry. And they're learning how to serve. And they've got a lot of book knowledge. But Elisha is also following closely Elijah. Because he said, you know, I, you know, I'm asking you, Elijah, when you go, I want a double portion of the anointing that's on you to come on me. And he said, well, you've asked a hard thing. Uh, but uh, if you see me go, it'll happen, just like you said. Well, it's a hard thing because it's a lot of work to work in the ministry and to serve in the ministry and to uh, get up when you don't feel like getting up and uh, serve when you'd rather maybe go to the lake and... Uh, uh, go water skiing, or I wouldn't say wakeboarding because I almost died wakeboarding one time. <laughs> uh, you know, something on the water. 
And of course, we're not talking about you need to have recreation time, you need to have all that. But sometimes in the summer, you can, uh, if you've been around churches any length of time, you can find out there's some people that on the, in the summer, they just put God on pause and they live at the lake. And uh, that's, the place, <laughs> that's the place where they find their, um, I guess, satisfaction and fulfillment. But there is no satisfaction and no fulfillment like there is in serving God and in finding your place. I, deep in my heart, really believe that one of the main purposes of the local church is to have a place where you and I can fulfill our call in the body of Christ. In other words, a lot of people have a heart to serve God, but uh, they're like, well, where do I start? What do I do? And um, when you're connected with that local body, uh, you know, we need ushers, we need greeters, we need parking lot people, we need singers, we need children's workers. I mean, pretty much anything we need. <laughs> we need sound people. Um, and you, you say, well, okay, but that's not, that's not exciting to me. That's not cool to me. Well, when Elisha was serving Elijah and was faithful and was in his place, then when the anointing fell, he received the anointing. So you actually get the anointing through serving and through being in your place. And you can look actually at Simeon and Anna. It says that they were, uh, Anna was actually a, a prophetess and a prayer, and she was continually in the temple. And Simeon was continually in the temple. Well, the day that Jesus showed up, they were in the temple, and they got to see Jesus because they were in their place and they were serving. And Jesus, even Jesus, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue. So it was kind of a regular thing. So in your life and in the life of your family, it should be a regular thing that you are coming together with other believers. And when you come together with other believers, part of the series that we'll get into probably towards the end of the series is the study of what's called supernatural relationships. So there are supernatural relationships that the Lord has for you and has for me. But if we're not in our place, we're going to miss those supernatural relationships. Well, why is a supernatural relationship important? Well, it can affect... Uh, it will for sure affect you spiritually. It can affect your pocketbook. It can affect your health. It can affect every part of your life. I, I can't tell you how many times that I have had uh, a supernatural relationship. In other words, a relationship that God has ordained, that God has set up. And I'm not just talking about, um, I should uh, take a little side journey here. Uh, many times when we discuss supernatural relationships, we think of like, I had a supernatural relationship with Dad Hagen. I did, okay, and with Mark Hankins, these, these like nationally and internationally known people. Um, and those are significant, but really you're going to have more supernatural relationships with people that would be considered your spiritual peers and people that are maybe under you. And the Lord actually will get things to you through them that he won't get to you through a Brother Hagen or through a Mark Hankins or through a Joyce Meyer or through an Andrew Womack or whoever... Um, you may really honor and respect because God has designed for each of us to live uh, in the assembly, to live together with each other and to be in relationship. And that's where, you know, Paul's talking about uh, when we're all part of the body, there's a supply that every joint has. So there's a supply that you have for me and that I have for you, and I'm probably a bad example because I'm the pastor, but there's a supply that you have for her and she has for you and you have for her and he has for you uh, that you need to be successful in your life. I can't tell you how many times 
my favorite is when somebody that was just born again, they weren't a Christian and they just received Jesus Christ and they feel like they know nothing. And they come up to you and they're like, da-da-da, and they just say these like three little words that were a key to what you're asking God about. And you're like, ah! And you're like, you're amazing! They're like, oh, can you teach me something? And you're like, no, 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 just keep talking. You just talk. I want to hear you. And uh, many times we're looking for um, maybe the popular person or, or, you know, the well-known person to give us this word from God when right next to us we have the keys to the deliverance in the situation that we're experiencing right now. And God has those for us, and he works through those people. So you see with Elisha, he was faithful to serve, and the anointing came upon him. And when we serve, I know some of the greatest anointings that I have had have been when I'm serving. In fact, I was healed of an incurable uh, disease in my abdomen uh, when we were um, uh, on staff at the ministry at, uh, in Tulsa at Ramah. And, um, but before I had healing show up in my body, when I still had the pain, could still feel the pain, um, I can remember I would run the handheld camera. And so that thing is like 13, 15 pounds, you know, and it it can be a little bit of weight. And the condition that I had, um, I won't go into the detail of it, but it could be quite painful, uh, especially for a man. And so, um, you wouldn't want to carry something heavy. It actually, I, I got to a point where I, could, I had to like walk like almost tiptoe and stuff like that, and I couldn't hardly walk and, um, without severe pain uh, to the point where I was in tears when they, I had to go to the emergency room, actually, on one of the trips. And um, anyhow, they thought I was going to have to have surgery, but praise the Lord, I didn't. Anyhow, uh, I would get up to run the camera in this condition, and the second I would run the camera, no pain, every symptom left, nothing. The anointing of God like just overshadowed me. And it was so confusing to me because I'm like, Lord, how can I be like serving and doing this and I'm fine? And then as as soon as I put that camera down, ow! (laughs) And it wasn't like, ow, like I have like, if you bruised your heel, so to speak, and then uh, it feels good for a second. And then afterwards you realize, oh, I did too much strain on it. I never had adverse uh, symptoms from having served uh, when I had these conditions. I had served, I've served uh, doing the same type of thing when I had like a cold or a flu try to come on me. Man, as soon as I get that and I start serving, I just feel fine. I'm breathing clear, all this type of stuff. And then boom, it'll come right back on me. So uh, what I, I'm not getting into the healing aspect of all of that. We could talk about that later. But the point I'm trying to make is there is an anointing you partake of that zoe, that life and nature of Jesus Christ when you serve in the body of Christ. We're members, we're connected into the body of Christ, and he has set it up that the way he's going to work, the way that, okay, it's the burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God is what we need to see in our lives and the lives of those that we want to reach. And the way that that comes is it comes through the body of Christ. It comes through Christ. So as we stay connected in that body, that salve is going to flow, and it's going to flow through us so that you can actually lay your hand on someone, and you can watch God instantly heal them, and you can actually think, I didn't feel a thing. Sometimes you feel it, sometimes you don't. But you realize that you were the conduit. In other words, they felt your hand, but it was the hand of Christ touching them. They heard your voice, but it was the words of Jesus that you were speaking. So it was... Through you, 
And what an awesome privilege that is to get to see the power of God and then at times even feel the power of God flow through you. Or you hear words come out of your mouth that you're like, that is definitely beyond me. Because why? You decided to yield and to serve. And when you serve, when I serve, the best thing in the world is to say, you know what? I'm serving the way you want me to serve. I don't have an agenda in this. I don't have, uh, uh, what do you call it? Stake in the game. I'm here to serve the way you want me to serve. If, <laughs> here's where the rubber meets the road. If you want me to label VHS tapes <laughs> or clean the bathroom, I'm here to serve. I'm just happy to serve. And so you find that things actually, especially in a, a ministry serving situation, flow so much better when you say, you know what, I may have all of these talents and abilities, but the person that's over me has said, I want you to label the VHS tapes, that you are so blessed for doing that. Because I had much greater abilities to do that. But you know one of the things I got to do because I was over like the tape management, which included the labeling of the tapes, is um, Brother Hagin was a man of few words. And he made almost zero requests at the ministry. One day, I was there labeling tapes, and we got a work order request from Brother Hagen, which that never happened. That's the only work request we ever got. And that, I mean, I traveled on the road with him, so I had other requests. But like in the department there, that was it's the only written request I've ever seen from Dad Hagen. And um, so we had this request to get all of the videos that we could find of Brother and Sister Goodwin, a copy of them for him. And um, we had an old machine that, that they had there, and I won't go into detail for the sake of time, but we had to like have a, a part machine for that machine so that we could do it. And then I had to um, take the time to restore those tapes. So I'm actually sitting there watching Brother and Sister Goodwin so I can make it for Brother Hagen. And then because we did that, that was, okay, I have to go into a little detail and then I'll finish. So that was what's called an IVC tape format, which means nothing to any of you, I'm sure. Um, but that IVC format was what's called a prosumer format. It wasn't professional and it wasn't consumer. It's somewhere in between. So somebody decided to make this IVC, but they only made it for like two years. And then they quit making it. And then so the first year of Rama Bible Training Center, 1974 to 1975, is on these IVC tapes. And the first camp meeting that they recorded is on these IVC tapes where they get that the one El Shaddai. And so we fixed this part, and I read these videos and was so blessed by the ministry of Brother and Sister Goodwin. But it doesn't stop there. Because we did that, now these tapes are so old that what's, the emulsion is starting to fall off of them, which means when you run it through, they start to powderize, and basically they're disintegrating before your eyes. So they have to be restored. Then I was able to actually uh, serve them, not even on staff, not paid staff, just volunteer, and restore all of the teachings of Dad Hagen from 1974 because we uh, fixed that little thing, and now we could do all those tapes because they only did that for one year, then they had other tapes. Well, then I had access to those tapes. So I saw the entire teaching of Brother Hagen for the first year of Rhema Bible Training Center. Yeah. Right? So I, what I thought was menial duties actually opened the door not only to that, but it, then uh, three months later, immediately I was, I was labeling tapes immediately. And then I traveled on the road with Dad Hagen uh, part-time. And then uh, four months later, I was full-time on the road with Dad Hagen. So uh, all I'm saying is I was faithful to serve and faithful to be in my place that I thought was menial. But I said, Lord, I'm going to do it. 
I'm going to serve. And when I've served, I've sensed the anointing on my life that it's affected my body. I've sensed the anointing on my life uh, that I know I've received things that other people didn't see. In fact, in fact, if you look at the book, read the book, uh, Understanding the Anointing by Kenneth Hagin, you'll see in the middle of that book, he talks about the anointing and how the anointing is transferred and transmitted. And he talks about Elijah and Elisha. And then he says a statement in there that I, I don't recall him saying when I was on the road with him, but after he passed away, shortly afterwards, I was reading the, that book, and I read where he said that those, you'll notice that those have, who have worked closely with me have the same anointing that I have, and some of the anointings that I have have actually left me and gone to them. And I thought, I read that, I, whoa, I've never read that before, and um, so it's interesting that as you serve, the Lord's actually able to speak to you. The Lord's able to say, you know what? I want you to like tweak a little bit, go this direction. I want you to do this. I want you to do that. He's able to use you. He's able to flow through you. So when we talk about some assembly required, you, you can think of like all of those things that people give for your kids or you get your kids and you have to assemble it. You have to put it together. It doesn't just happen automatically. This doesn't just work automatically, um, but you have to assemble it. You have to put it together. Well, the body of Christ is the same way. You're, excuse me, you and I are not as effective on our own as what we are together when we assemble together. And if you ever want to like uh, figure out if that's true, like in a local church setting, you just go plant your own church and you find out like you cannot do everything. <laughs> <laughs> that you need help. Um, but the anointing will flow when you're in your place and when I'm in my place, when each of us are in our place. Go ahead and stand if you would. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Father, we thank you that we are the body of Christ and members in particular, that you have made each of us uh, to partake of your flesh, of your blood, Father. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that prevents deception, aborts every attempt of the devil and the enemy to deceive us. Father, I pray for each of us that are here, each person that's listening, Father, that you would speak to our hearts, that you'd help us to know exactly where we're to serve and what we're to do. Father, we thank you that you're good, that your mercy endures forever. Father, we pray for this city. We plead the blood of Jesus over Washington, D.C., over this region, over this area. Father, we ask for more churches to be uh, risen up. Father, we ask for more people to come here to help us to serve, to reach, to preach your gospel. Father, we thank you that all of our needs are met according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Thank you that we are healed, that we are redeemed, that we are free, and that we are victorious in Jesus Christ. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.